crazy for feeling so lonely. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Crazy Talk. Um, Medina left us a document and he's already named the episode Providence Bitches, so (laughs) I don't know if we're going to go with that, but uh, he is not here tonight, so it's a less Medina episode. I think uh, I hear... A loud cheer. <laughs> we <I'm>, still have, <laughs> yes, Frank. I'm gonna give you the scoop on this, okay? So if <laughs> if you know Medina a little bit uh, and you're aware of what he's doing these days, he assembled a tactical trade team. And uh, last week, instead of embarrassing himself at the SCG Open, he decided <laughs> to go there and uh, and just uh, trade exclusively. <laughs> and uh apparently he did so bad that when he came he came home his wife was so pissed that like tonight he he has to <laughs> kind of like make up for it because like he he didn't bring home enough money and now he has to uh, uh kind of like get back into uh, her Sweep good the floor. Place. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why he's not here tonight, but um Hopefully he'll, he'll like this weekend. He's not coming to Providence again just to uh, get some <laughs> wife points. But hopefully we'll have him uh, in the next week. Yep. In yeah. the meantime, John, if you're listening, uh, enjoy your manual labor. <laughs> <laughs> so we still have Frank and Alex, and uh, tonight we have a, a special guest with us. We have Adam Barnello, writer for Channel Fireball. How's it going, Adam? It's going well, thank you. How are you guys doing tonight? Very good. And uh, we usually start off our guests quickly with five questions. So are you ready, Adam? Called the five. Ready when you are. Okay, question number one. How did you get into Legacy? Uh, I've been playing Legacy for the entire time that Legacy's been Legacy, and a little bit before that, actually. Uh, I'm kind of an old-school player. I started playing in around the Ice Age that ballpark and I played for a few years just you know I was young high school uh, middle school type kid that uh, wasn't very good was pretty awful actually uh, <laughs> I took a break when I went off to college and then during my last year of college got back into it uh, when I got back into magic all the guys that I had been playing with when I was a kid while I was in college had uh, had started up kind of a grassroots uh, organization uh, whatever you want to call it they started up Basically, they were the, the backbone of what became The Source, which is uh, one of the major legacy websites that are out there. Uh, so these guys, while I, were gone, while I was gone, had, uh, had been playing a lot of what was 1.5 at that point. So when I came back and I started playing with these guys again, it was kind of natural for me to become a legacy-focused player. Uh, there weren't so many people that were trying to be Pro Tour players, uh, everyone in our area has always been pretty much focused on Legacy. It's kind of a weird spot because of that. So when I came back into the game, I got involved in Legacy, got more involved in the Source, uh, and yeah, it just kind of went from there. I think I would go as far as saying the Source is considered the uh, Legacy site, at least according to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it depends on who you ask. 
<laughs> I don't want to toot the site's horn too much, but yeah. Uh, for a long time, it was the only place that really had any kind of legacy discussion. Okay. Uh, it's that's been a good thing and a bad thing. It's kind of insular, and some of the ideas that are on the site are are kind of skewed by the fact that uh, it's kind of inbred mentality on the site. But it's been a lot better lately. So there's there's some good input on on the format in that site. So if you're looking for information, that's a really good source for you to go to. Ah, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Question two: What's your favorite magic card? Uh, I have two answers for this. So the first answer: Double Aura which is neither granting your creature indestructibility nor an aura, and it has some of the best artwork ever because there's a fish guy throwing metal horns on it. I have, like, 300 indestructible auras from Legends. (laughs) Uh, But anyone who knows me as a Magic player will know that my favorite card of all time is uh, Brainstorm. Uh, which is a big reason why I play Legacy. If they banned Brainstorm and Legacy, there's a pretty good chance I would no longer be playing Legacy. <coughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, uh, harsh words. <laughs> Very harsh words. Question three, what do you, do you want to be known for in the Magic community, and why should we care? Well, I think I've kind of worked myself into a position where I've kind of inadvertently taken on this mantle of historian of the format, um, mostly because people wanted to know more, and I had the ability and the platform to tell them. Um, I'm, I want to stay midway through a series of articles right now talking about basically the whole history of the format from the day that it turned into Legacy up until the current uh, iteration of what the format is now. And I think that I'm kind of in a unique position in that I've been – through all of what the format has been and kind of have an idea of the origin of a lot of things that people weren't around to see, Um, you know, where the decks came from, how they developed through the years, what changes were made and why, that kind of thing. So I think in, in terms of the writing community, I'm unique in that aspect because most people either weren't present for it when it happened or just aren't aware of, of kind of the back story for the format. So I think that mantle is uh is something that's kind of been bestowed. If that's my lot, then I'm fine with it. Um, <laughs> as to why you should care, I think it's important that that history doesn't become lost. Um, when the format was kind of in its infancy, there weren't a lot of people playing it. Obviously, because of the Star City events, because of the, the Grand Prix that have popped up in the last few years, uh, it's become more and more popular. But there's a small group of people that, you know, for the last seven years at this point or, or more, we've known how awesome the format is. We've known how much fun it is. And we've known, you know, that this is the best magic that you can be playing. Uh, um, it took a long time for us to convince everyone else of that. But... We've known for a long time, so we want other people to recognize that there is a lot of history in this format. It's not something that's only been around for the last year. There was a time when Tarmogoyf and Jace the Mind Sculptor and Mental Misstep and, you know, all those cards that seem like staples or will will soon seem like staples, they weren't in the format, and there's things, there's history of this format. And as the format itself is kind of a history of magic the game, I think that it's important for us to, to be cognizant that there's a history to the format also. Wow, that's that's a great answer. 
so question number five, Adam. Uh, Alex, would you? Oh uh, no, wait. You so, you've skipped uh, one. Skip. Man. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. No, this is a good question. I, I want you to ask this one, so don't skip this one. Okay. <laughs> so question number four, Adam. If you got into a bar fight and you could put pick one member of the magic community to have your back, who would be your pack one pick one? Okay, so pack one pick one. Dan Signorini, guy from Virginia. He won a star for the event. Uh, I want to say late last season. Um, He's been around the legacy community a whole bunch, but the important thing to know about this guy is he's a black belt in Krav Maga. So if <laughs> I had to pick one guy, I gotta say the guy that's gonna be the best for me is the one that is a black belt in at least one martial art. <laughs> and I know he practices more, so he's probably gonna be good to have on your team. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Alex, would you do the honor? Sure. Num- question number five. What's the craziest thing you've ever done. Okay. I had to think about this one for a little bit. So, on a whim, when I was in college, uh, a few of us decided that we were going to drive to Canada. I, okay, so first of all, I live a lot closer to Canada than most of the people in the U.S. did. And I went to college about a half hour south of the border. So it's not like we drove six hours to go to Canada. So we drove across the border to Ottawa to go see uh, some bands play up there, and uh, we didn't have a place to stay, we didn't have anyone we knew up there, so it was a two-night concert, we went the first night, and we tried to find a place to stay while we were at the show, failed miserably, so our backup plan was to go find a college that was in the area, and stay at the college, that fell through too, so we decided to find a random house that was having a party, and try to have someone at the party let us in, and then someone at the party let us crash there. (laughs) Wow. So, to make a really long story not that long, we ended up staying, we found some party in a random back road in the middle of rural Ottawa, where we were about six blocks from one of the campuses of a university up there, and it was college kids, but I ended up, by like three o'clock in the morning, I ended up talking about American politics with an Iraqi foreign exchange student that was going to school in Canada. Um, we found out that the house ended up being a crack house. There were probably 10 or 15 crackheads that were also staying at this house. And uh, we basically got uh, hustled out by people that were trying to find their drug dealers in the morning. It was one of the strangest, worst, best nights of my life. Uh, and then we got up in the morning, went back to the other day of the concert, and then went home. But, you know, my my friend's staying in a circle of people, and, and somebody comes up to him, and he goes, hey, man, uh, do you want a drink or something? He's like, no, sorry, I don't drink. He's like, oh, you want a Coke? And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll take a Coke. And we're like, no, dude, he's not talking about that kind of Coke. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was an interesting night, to say the least. Man, you're completely spoiling our good Canadian reputation, you know, like being polite <laughs> and everything. You come to Canada and you meet the hard crackheads, man. That doesn't. <laughs> that's not right. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware, Adam, but all three of us are from Canada, so it's kind of funny <laughs> your story. Well, well, I will say this. I will say this. They were very nice crackheads. <laughs> you lived up to the very nice reputation. <laughs> Ooh. Um, Frank, anything to add on that? Well, we're going to Ottawa in two weeks. I'm not sure now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd feel safer in Montreal. 
<laughs> I think the number of crackheads in Montreal exceeds that of the number in Ottawa. I think as I long as you exclude the politics. Uh, I think I still have an outstanding parking ticket in Montreal. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and now you admit it to it on, on, on film. <laughs> they try and find me, I guess. <laughs> um, Adam, you were talking about being the, uh, legacy historian and, uh, how, how people have, you know, put that mantle on you. I just feel like you're that guy because of your epic beard. So you just look <laughs> like the guy who, who, who was, who played back, 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 back when. And, uh, but John Medina came up with this question for me to ask. Um, how does your beard help you with your game? Uh, it breaks the ice pretty well. That's, that's an honest answer. I mean, there's there's an intimidation factor uh, on both sides of the table sometimes because, you know, I'm not so prominent in the community that I'm, you know, not starstruck when I play against good opponents also. And, uh, you know, just an offhand comment about that or something is, is a really good way for me to kind of break any tension in a match. So. And, and I think it's... It's also something that makes me recognize you right away. Like, uh, when I actually came to say hi to you at Star City Games Boston, that was, like, I'm like, wow, I instantly recognize the beard from Channel Fireball. <laughs> yeah, there's a pretty good chance that if you see a dude that's got a really big beard and a Channel Fireball t-shirt on, it's probably going to be me. Or Taylor Tour, <laughs> but it's probably going to be me. Have you actually named your beard? Like, does it have a name? <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't have a name. Um, so speaking of Channel Fireball, how did you get involved with them? Uh, it was kind of right place, right time, honestly. So and, did, and did you? How, uh, how did that happen? Like, did you? Was it Lewis that uh, kind of recruited you, or? Oh no, no, it's kind of a story. So I, I used to write for Star City Games. Um, I used to write during the, they had a uh, unlocking legacy series where there were four writers, one each week, and we rotated through the month. I got involved doing that, um, basically because of my connections on the source. Um, and I had written a little bit for, uh, Magic Salvation also prior to that. So I had somewhat of a resume to work with to get the writing gig at Star City. So I did that for like a year or two. And then I decided I didn't want to write anymore. I just got busy with other things going on and, and didn't really have time to do it anymore. And so I had a break of about maybe one and a half to two years where I wasn't writing. Then finally I decided that I was, you know, set in the rest of my social needs. So I was, I was ready to start writing again. And I got in contact with some of the people that I knew from Star City, uh, to find out if they were hiring for any writers there, if I could write some articles for them. Um, but that was, just about the same time when they did their overhaul of writers and basically fired everybody and started fresh. Right. Uh, it was maybe, I want to say, like two or three weeks before that happened. So they were kind of in turmoil there, too, so they weren't really ready to start bringing out new writers that they hadn't already found contracts for. Um, so I, I talked to... Uh, I don't even remember who it was. Someone clued me off. We're, Regardless of who it was, somebody sent me off that, that Channel Fireball might have been looking for writers, so they uh, they got me in contact with Zayn Bag, who was one of the editors at Channel Fireball, and uh, I sent them my resume and said, hey, I'm, I'm looking to write. Uh, so they took a look at my stuff, and he and Luis looked it over and said, sure, why don't, why don't we have you write you know, once a week, or if, if you can do that in the articles. I said, 
absolutely I can do that many articles whatever it takes to get on your website. So <laughs> I got in there, and then about a month went by where I didn't have any contact with them because my uh, my emails had been getting caught by their spam filter for some reason <laughs> or another. So I had written like three articles, and none of them had gotten through. And uh, in the meantime, they had kind of redone their site as well. So when they they redid the uh, the layout of their site and kind of made it look the way that it does today, all of a sudden I popped back in and started writing for them. So it was kind of, like I said, they, they happened to be looking for some writers at the time that I was looking to write, and I happened to have a couple of contacts left from Star City who you know, put a good word in for me to get in over there. Sweet. So you, you know, just write for the site. You don't exactly do you interact with with the other so-called you know uh, team members, let's say. Um, to some extent, some more than others. Like uh, Caleb and I talk about decks mostly through Facebook and and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I've talked to Luis a little bit here and there about it also. Um, but for the most part, no. There, I mean, the site's mostly based off the West Coast. And obviously, I'm on the East Coast, so it, it's kind of difficult uh, to do any real collaboration with them in terms of that. Uh, so it's kind of like a writer-client uh, relationship. Actually, one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to this weekend uh, at Grand Prix Providence is the fact that most of those guys are finally going to be on the East Coast, so I'll actually have an opportunity to hang out with some of them for a while. I've already messaged them on Facebook and said, all right, here's the situation. It's my time for you guys to hang out with me. I'm buying the first round. We're going out and eating. Because <laughs> for the most part, I haven't even met most of these guys. So, yeah, it's a really good weekend for me, actually, in terms of uh, my working. So who do you uh, look forward to meeting the most from uh, that you haven't met yet? Um, not to sound too fanboyish, but Luis. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly just because he's the person, aside from Zion, that I've talked to the most. Um, just through the, you know, he's one of the editors, so he and I have discussed a lot based on the articles that I've written. So it'll be nice to actually be able to say, yes, I actually know him. I've met him in real life. We've spoken, you know. So, uh, can Frank. can I ask you, like, uh uh, since since you're kind of like removed from Team Fireball, like, do you have like a local community of guys that you play with and uh, that you test for upcoming tournaments and so on? Or absolutely, um, I I kind of alluded to this. I don't know if it was before we started recording or or if it was earlier in in the call, but Syracuse uh, is that's the city that I live in. We've kind of been known for Legacy since Legacy's been around. That's like our city's thing. As far as magic is concerned, uh, the source started here, uh, with a couple of our local players that were previously moderators on the managering before the source existed. Uh, and they split off from the managering to start the source along with some guys from Portland and some guys from, uh, the Albany area. Um, so yeah, upstate New York has pretty much been legacy focused for a really long time. So as a, a byproduct of that. There have always been, was it, oh, there have been slight exceptions for a couple of years when people were in school or, or that kind of thing. But for the most part, it's always been really a thriving legacy community. We've had, uh, do-it-yourself tournaments here forever. Um, 
Jupiter Games is right down the street. They do uh, big events for Legacy monthly, uh, giving out, you know, 40 dual lands for the top eight, that kind of thing. Um, Ely Kachis, who is a sometimes pro, is the owner of that store, and he's been very central to the Legacy community for a long time. Uh, he's also ridiculously good at this game. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a crew of people in the Syracuse area that, if for nothing else, we test for Ely's events a lot, and then uh, whenever we have the opportunity to go to a Star City Games event or to a Grand Prix, you know, we do that kind of thing also. But I have weekly testing sessions with a friend of mine, Alex Ortiz, who's very, very good at Legacy also. Um, and we have kind of a team environment here. I mean, even our local events are, it's like, if there's 15 people there, 10 of them are very much invested in Legacy. It's the only place I know of that if you go to an event for Legacy and you don't own Legacy cards, you will be handed 75 cards for a deck by someone, if not multiple people, including duels and fetches and forcibles and all that kind of stuff. So, it's kind of nice to be in Syracuse to be a Legacy player. <laughs> What's like uh, when you're talking about those kind of like independent events? Uh, like, what's the the biggest turnout that uh, that you have for those in in Syracuse? Um, well, for a long time, prior to the Star City events, these uh, these do-it-yourself kind of tournaments were the only thing going. Um, and when we did those a lot before there were really any any other tournaments going on, a good tournament would be like sixty or seventy people. Um, we broke the record at the time, the record for uh, the biggest non-store run legacy event in the in the uh, in North America with the Sources Five Year Anniversary event, and that was only like 120 people. Um, but nowadays, you know, Ely's cracked 200 people on, on, in some of his events, so they're on par with the size of some of the Star City events. Uh, Although they're much less publicized, obviously, but but yeah, they're serious events. They're not, um, and, and most of the people that have played in Jupiter's events and in Star City's events, like Alex Bertaccini was, he's actually a relative local here. He uh, he went to school in Binghamton for a while, and that's where Ely's story is. And he kind of cut his teeth in Legacy playing in Ely's events, and uh, and a lot of the other guys have too. Uh, that are now Starcity Rangers. I mean, Drew Levin was a was a pretty mainstay person at Ely's events for a little while. Um, you know, these are tournaments that are kind of filled with ringers. I made the, a pretty bold statement on Twitter at one point, and I was backed up by quite a few people that said that um, player for player, I think the the ability level and legacy and the familiarity of the format and legacy is higher at the Jupiter events than it is at Star City. And it actually makes it a more difficult tournament than the Star City event for the most part. So there's a like hundred people there. You've got at a Star City event, you've got thirty ringers and seventy people that are just, you know, there because it's a Star City event that's near them. <laughs> Whereas for Ely's events, it's a hundred people are there and seventy of them are format players that are there because they're trying to win the tournament, you know. So it's a much more difficult tournament at Jupiter in my personal experience at least than uh so what do you like, think at Providence? You think Providence is going to be also a lot of uh, like smaller amounts of ringers compared to you know people think, who are just showing I up. I think there's going to be so many more people at Providence that it's hard to say. Um, 
obviously it's a Grand Prix, so you're going to have professional players that, uh, which is always the case with Grand Prix. But, I mean, you're, it, it's comparing. I mean, okay, so let's say that every single person that I would consider to be a valid threat at either a Jupiter event or at a Star City event shows up to the Grand Prix. That's still only 200 people, and there could be 1,200 or more people at the Grand Prix. So your odds are pretty good that you're going to play against a, a mixture of good players and people that are just trying to come out and have fun for tournaments. So that's kind of what a Grand Prix is. And that's kind of what a legacy is. You never know what you're going to put across from the legacy So I assume you are going to Providence, right? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Do you know what you're playing? I do know what I'm playing. Within probably two or three cards is my final list. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the main deck figured out. I just have a couple of sideboard slots and still be doing that. Adam, you mentioned in your article that uh I think unless you've deviated completely from what you've written about and that we probably know what type of deck you're playing and that you've even said that if people want to ask you for a deck list to go up to you sometime on Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, it's no secret. I've been pushing in my interior control on the format for a couple of months now. Um, I've been trying different iterations of the deck and I've been having some success with it uh, despite the fact that People like Drew Levin are saying that it's not a very good metagame choice because of messing this stuff, but I believe differently, so. <laughs> so, could you tell us why you think differently? Like, what, cause in your article, right, you said you think Countertop is actually becoming more viable and powerful again, whereas Drew right, Levin, a, right, thinks it's, thinks it's really bad right now. Well, I think people are getting lost in the misstep hysteria. Um, it's kind of like, the only thing I can compare it to, is like deciding that you don't want to play Storm Combo because Force Will exists. It's like you, your opponent is only going to have four Force Wills in their deck, the same way that your opponent is only going to have four Mental Missteps in their deck. So if you're afraid to play cards because Mental Missteps exist, then they don't even have to play the cards because they've already beat. So it's like, yes, Enlightened Tutor is slightly worse because Mental misstep exists, but you're also running mental misstep. You're also running counterspell. You're also running counterbalance and senses given the top. And those two combined do pretty good of countering mental misstep. Um, top, it's gotten a little bit worse because mental misstep exists. Brainstorm has gotten a little bit worse because mental misstep exists. But none of those cards are bad. All those cards are still fantastic cards, despite the fact that mental misstep is in your opponent's 50 cards. They still have to draw it you still have to not have an answer for it when they do when they do draw. So I don't think that being afraid of the card is the right way to play. Given that, counterbalance is better now because the format is revolving around a one-drop. So if you land the counterbalance, suddenly it's good again. And uh, I don't think it was in one of the articles, but it was in the comment section of one of, uh, I can't remember if it was Matt Elias' article today or Drew Levin's article, but I think it was Matt that said it. it. It's not... Counterbalance doesn't require you to have a perfect curve. It just requires your curve to resemble what your opponent's curve looks like. So even if the format's getting slower, even if one drops and two drops aren't as relevant because of mental misstep, if your deck doesn't run as many one drops and two drops, but it does run more three drops and four drops, then you're still going to be fine with counterbalance because you're still going to have a good shot of countering your relevant spells. So if you're worried about Jace, 
the best thing that you can do is play more Jaces in your counterbalance stack. If you're worried about Jace, you can play Moat in your, in your Jace stack. You can play Elspeth. You can play things that answer the Jace, although most of them, but you get my point. That you play more four drops, and then you can counter the Jace more reliably with your counterbalance. So I think that because the mana costs are collapsing into clumps that are around one and four, the counterbalance is a better card. Does that make sense? Am I off base? I could be. Yeah, it makes sense. Basically because the format is solidifying the specific mana cost rather than being more varied like it was before, right? Then counterbalance right. is better when you know what specific mana cost people are playing and thus which ones you need to put in your deck to counter. Exactly. So you don't have to build it. I mean, you can have a bad curve in a counterbalance deck and still counter all the spells that you want to counter. You can know what the cards are that are bad for you and make sure that your your mana costs are clustered around that mana cost. So you want ones, you want twos, and you want fours. Three is still relevant because Curls and Grip exists, but in a deck that doesn't rely as heavily on counterbalance as it used to, that's still fine. That's the other thing that, that's an important distinction. Um, the counterbalance decks aren't counterbalance decks anymore. It's a control deck that has counterbalance in it. So instead of running four tops and four counterbalances and, and trying to land turn one top, turn two counterbalance every single game, you use counterbalance more as a tool to be able to recoup some card advantage out of it by countering a couple of spells as opposed to just trying to lock them out of the game. It's not a it's not a lock card anymore. It's a it's a value card at this point. Yeah, like this, compared to last time uh, there was a Grand Prix, right, where where there's the blue-red-green uh, tar- uh, counterbalance deck that was playing Tarmogoyfs and Firespout and stuff, whereas that deck, it's very different counterbalance decks nowadays, right, where you want to enlighten Tudor for some sort of piece to lock them out or get your Thopter combo online. Right, I, I think that's, that's really what it is. Uh, the intention of the deck now is more of a board control deck that also has counterbalance in it as protection, then it is a counterbalance deck that tries to set up that lock to clear the board and win the final deck. So my intention with the deck is to build a pure control deck and then make it fill in the gaps that the opponent could slip through to try to win the game. So that's why I'm running counterbalance in the deck. It's an answer to certain problems. Um, as well as being one of those cards that against certain matchups, they just can't win through it. You know, if I get paired up against, against Ad Nauseam as a counterspell deck, all they have to do is revolve Worm's Chant or then it's one the game's over. But if I have a counterbalance in play, now it's not so guaranteed. Right. And like, the old counterbalance decks, right, would have a lot of trouble against Merfolk because the counterbalance inherently doesn't affect the board. Whereas the more recent ones, right, with Enlightened Tutor and, for instance, uh, Ensnaring Bridge, they do affect the board, right? So they, your matchup against Merfolk is a lot better, right? That's correct, and and it's more than that. Also, it's, uh, I mean, Merfolk is is arguably the deck that gains the most from Mental Misstep, um, because they have better protection for their own spells now. But at the same time, they're one of the decks that's most affected by Mental Misstep as well. So as a control deck and as a counterbalance deck, the worst card that you can play against me is Aether Vial, obviously, because it totally negates all of my counter magic and it makes 
counterbalance basically worthless. But the addition of mental misstep as an answer for that vial makes counterbalance better because if I can stop them from having the vial in play, now their whole deck is, is exposed to counterbalance. Right. I actually have a friend who's planning on playing Merfolk without any vials. He's playing Dismembers in, in that spot, which personally I disagree with. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think Merfolk probably wants Dismember. I don't know if Merfolk wants Dismember main deck. And I don't know that even with all the mental missteps that are probably kicking around, if vial not being in the deck is really that good of a plan. <laughs> um, it's the same situation as I was saying with Pop and with Enlightened Your opponent only has four mental missteps. Granted, they have four Force of Wills also, but the, the games where you land the Vile when they don't have that on turn one are so far ahead that it's worth the risk of getting it misstepped on turn one to play it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, you first, you also have your own missteps, and, you know, if they're countering that, then they're not countering one of your other spells, like a Lord of Atlantis, for instance, right? Which is right. what they really want to be countering if they're a Force of Will deck. Plus, if it does resolve, then it effectively blanks all the future counter spells that they do draw. Exactly. And God forbid you draw two vials, you know, and they, they misstep it on turn one, and turn two, <laughs> you just play a second one, and then they're just t- totally cold to it. It's the same situation with Pop. It's like, your your Team America players are saying that top is the worst card for them, and, and you're not going to want to play it because they can misstep it. Well, you happen to draw two, and they draw one misstep, or you draw one and a misstep, and they draw one misstep, and suddenly you're <laughs> so far ahead that it's impossible to lose. So, it's, I mean, I think that I think that misstep is a very important card. I think it's a very format-altering card, but I think that people are playing scared right now, and I don't think that's the right way to do it. See, I think that misstep actually, I mean, it, it changes the format, but I think it changes the decks less than the way that you actually play the games. Like, you play around misstep and you, you know, you lead with your brainstorm instead of your top, for instance. And, uh, instead of, like, not playing either of those cards in your deck. Right, right. I, I think that's true also. And I think it makes your decisions in the early game much more important than they had previously. Like, your, your mulliganing decisions are a lot more important now. Um, one-man brainstorm hands, one-man top hands are basically unplayable at this point. Um, whereas previously, even if you go land top and they force a will, that puts them far enough behind where if you whiff on a land drop and then make it the next turn, you're probably still in the game. Where now, they can just pay two life in one card and shut you out of the game potentially by maintaining that tempo that you just lost by keeping a one-lander. So, I think that the early game just became a little bit earlier, and the late game just became a little bit later, which is why decks like Zoo are relatively unplayable. I don't want to say completely unplayable, but I certainly wouldn't recommend playing a deck like Zoo, a mid-range deck that's like... The only part of its game that is important is kind of negated now, because games are going to go faster and harder. Well, actually, based on the misstep discussion, I have, I have two questions, like in terms of you know misstepping a turn one brainstorm. Do you do you always use your misstep? Like, when do you use your misstep on a turn one brainstorm, and when do you think you don't? And second of all, do you so, think people should start playing like another land or two in their decks so that you know, cause, uh, because because people go to the are keeping first. sure. I would, uh, 
I always thought people should play more lands in their decks. <laughs> so, so nothing's really changed there. Um, I run, I think, 22 lands in my control deck, and that's absolutely low. Um, if it weren't for the fact that I'm running seven basics in my deck, I would probably be running more lands. But I kind of cheat on it based on the fact that I have so many basic lands. It's kind of hard to disrupt. But, so yes, I think people should be playing more lands. Um, I think you should probably take whatever deck list you're playing at, <laughs> and you should find the weakest card and put a land in instead. Honest answer. Uh, as far as do you mix up the turn one brainstorm, my theory was always that I would be willing to trade a spell pierce for a brainstorm, I would be willing to trade a red blast for a brainstorm, but I wouldn't be able to trade a a force of will for a brainstorm, not in the early game. Um, so I'm always willing to go one for one to stop my opponent from brainstorming. Um, I'm always willing to go one for one to stop my opponent from landing a top. And I'm almost always willing to go one for one to stop my opponent from pondering. But I'm not entirely sure. It depends on what you're playing against for the ponder. Uh, sometimes I, I will stop at nauseam from pondering. Um, so I'm going to be pretty aggressively using this stuff on turn one, uh, pretty much forever. But I don't think I would force a little bit. Right. I mean, I totally agree with with that. Like this stuff, obviously, is much more narrow. Plus, force a will, you're using two cards instead of just one. Right. Right. Um, counter spell. I think I would counter spell a turn two brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a fan of the turn one brainstorm, or do you generally, no. do you like the turn two brainstorm, or do you just save it for as long as possible? Uh, my, I guess it kind of depends on which deck you're playing. Um, but in my personal experience, the longer you wait to play a brainstorm, the better it is. Uh, the exception to that, obviously, is if you're greedy and you keep a hand that needs work. I mean, the way I try to assess it is, what am I trying to draw off of this brainstorm? And if I can't come up with the specific things I'm trying to draw off of this brainstorm, it's not worth playing the brainstorm. Because you're going to put two cards back that you would just as soon have in your hand. So I try to wait until the last possible minute to play my brainstorms. And a lot of times that means that I don't actually play them. Because once top gets online, you don't even need it anymore. So... I find that more often than not lately, I've been playing my brainstorm fully as a means to either protect myself from discard spells, shuffle away cards that I don't want to see anymore, or dig one card deeper with that. Hmm. Speaking of brainstorm, I keep hearing, I need to read this article before I play a Provenance, I keep hearing about AJ Soccer's Apparently, well, on SCG Live, you were talking about it. Um, I was playtesting with Alex uh, previously, and I was wondering, Adam, people say that like, you keep brainstorming until like, you really need something or, or whatever. I've, I've learned that in Type 2 with, with a card like Preordain, uh, where I just, I just wait until I know exactly what I need. But what if the other guy is, the other person is playing a misstep deck, do I care if they draw into a misstep to to counter my my brainstorm? Um, no. Does that does my question <laughs> make sense? <laughs> I sorry. Yeah, I just no, it does. It does. Um, 
so the dynamic of choosing when to brainstorm is more important now with misstep in the format, but it doesn't really change anything. Um, there's still the correct time to play it, and every other time is incorrect. Um, and if they happen to have the counterspell for it, then they have the counterspell for it. But the other thing to keep in mind is that because of the value of Brainstorm, because of the uh, potency of the card in the format, if you want, it's also one of the best spells to use to bait mental missteps. Because people are going to want to misstep your Brainstorm. So let's say you have, uh, in my deck, for example, you have a hand and there's one or two one-mana spells that you really want to resolve. So let's say a mind tutor and popper in your hand, and you draw Brainstorm. Right. Brainstorm is now the best spell to start with, even though it probably wouldn't have been before. I, I mean, you don't want to play that spell first. That's not what it's there for. I mean, you could you could see more cards if you played it after you played the top. You could use it to draw the card that you enlightened to your four. But now playing that first is probably correct because the other two cards have more value. So it's assessments like that that you have to do. Um, if you're in desperation mode, then it doesn't matter because if they counter the brainstorm, you're screwed either way. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like there's even uh, an additional layer of complexity to the card now. And everybody was... I had a friend that was watching the finals of SCG Live and said the Team America player was always brainstorming at the wrong time, so... Seems like like I need to learn when to brainstorm properly. I'm still not perfect at it, and I'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons that I think it's my favorite card. I think it's one of the most difficult cards to play correctly that exists in the game, um, and people constantly play it wrong, myself included. And <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think I think that the existence of a card like that in a format as a four of is one of the things that makes the format interesting. I'll be honest with you, when when they banned or when they restricted Brainstorm and Vintage, I haven't played a match of Vintage since then. And I used to really like that format. I haven't played a match of it since they restricted Brainstorm. And it was the right thing to do, but it just means that the format's not interesting to me anymore. Uh, hmm. So. Yeah, your answer previously made sense. <laughs> Frank, is there any question, general questions you want to ask... Uh... Adam, before we move on to perhaps talking about Louisville. No, that's good. Uh, let's let's move on. I Alex, have, you have one. I, more? Yeah, I have one more question. Let, um, let's say a hypothetical scenario where you have your hand is like two lands, force a will, brainstorm, and you have an untapped blue land and a fetch land in play, and your opponent plays a spell that you need a force of will. Let's say he's also playing a blue deck. Do you think you brainstorm there, or do you just force remove the brainstorm? I would say nine times out of ten, I pitch the brainstorm. Um, it has uh, the decision there has to do with the potential for you to draw. There's there's three things you have to consider. One is the possibility of them countering the brainstorm, then you're screwed. Two <laughs> yeah. is the possibility of you actually drawing a blue card off of the brainstorm, and three is the potential that that blue card has less value to you than the brainstorm does. So. Realistically, what you're trying to draw is a dead card. The likelihood of you doing that in a blue deck is pretty low. I mean, the blue <laughs> card is pretty good in a blue deck. That's why they're in the deck. So, realistically, I think if you're if you're willing to throw a card away at random for the force of will, then you should be willing to throw the brainstorm away. I think the odds are 
against you for drawing a blue card that you're willing to throw away. I mean, what happens if if you're trying to force a will, let's say, a Tarmogoyf, and the the only blue card that you draw is Jace? Well, I would really have much rather drawn that Jace two turns from now than I would have thrown it away. So now you've lost the Brainstorm and the Jace, as opposed to just the Brainstorm. So for the most part, I think that if the Brainstorm is your only blue card in your hand, you're better off pitching the Brainstorm than you are pitching the, a, a random blue card off the top of your library. Well, even though you're getting, you're effectively getting rid of the two lands that were in your hand because you get to fetch them away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, answer, I, I'm not as concerned with with fixing my mana at, or fixing the two cards that I that are in my hand as I am with ensuring that that card is countered. Um, in other words, I think the odds are in your favor to. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to approach this properly. Um, it's better value for you to get rid of the brainstorm there than it is for you to hope that you can draw a blue spell, remove those two lands from your hand, and have three cards in your hand that are cast. A lot of things have to go right there in order for you to, to get the value that you're trying to get out of that brainstorm. Right. And with misstep in the format, right, you would basically open yourself up to being countered back with a misstep rather than their own force of will. Right. I mean, in, in in the case that they force a will, you're force a will. At least they're also down two cards. In the case that they misstep your brainstorm, now you're down a brainstorm and their spell counters up. And you're still stuck with two lands. So, yeah, I think it's the brainstorm. All right, thanks. Okay, let's let's move on to what happened the last weekend Star City Games Louisville. Um, Frank, is there a specific deck that caught your attention? Did you have time to check it out? Um, I checked I checked out the top eight decks uh, a little bit when well obviously we looked at the the black white uh, deck that Caleb was running right and uh, there's been this whole thing about the blue deck that won but uh, yeah well I like as you know like we've tested the 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 black white deck and. Uh, like I, it seems solid to me at the time, but uh, I think you've moved away from that one, so, <laughs> so I'm not sure about it anymore. <laughs> um, Adam, I actually asked Adam about it, and he, even his article, he recommended the other black white list in the top eight over Caleb's, and uh, I played against Frank, and he was playing Natural Order, and I seemed to uh, be able to do fairly well, and I think in the games that I lost, it was probably due to some misplay on my part. But then I, uh, I played against Alex a bunch of games and definitely was able to disrupt me <laughs> enough for me to to not really like playing a deck with with basic planes and an obliterator in the same deck. Um, That's the real problem that I had with Caleb's deck is that I I think I, I don't I don't think I have a fully developed opinion of obliterator yet. But in a deck that can't produce black mana with every single one of its mana sources. I feel like you're really risking a lot playing Obliterator. Right. And, and like, I think it was, it's like really good against, I guess, Merfolk? Or, I can't think of... Yeah, well, it seemed pretty good against Merfolk, unless they had like a Regery or something to tap it down. It, right, it was right. pretty big roadblock there. But, well, uh, here's my problem with playing it against Merfolk. 
it's still a four-mana sorcery that you have to cast off of non-basic lands. So, Merfolk's Disruption Package still is pretty good at stopping you from getting that guy into play to begin with. Um, if it were all, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good, but they have a pretty good setup to be able to keep you off of playing that. Yeah, and if you Dark Ritual, they you have Mental Misstep for it, so... And Spell Pierces and Force of Will, you know, and they, they, they have the disruption, yeah, so... It's risky, that's what I'm saying. I think the, <laughs> I think the other build that I put in my article is, is a safer build, which is... I think that's something that you're looking for in that type of a deck, is consistency, uh, rather than explosiveness. I mean, it's a disruption deck, it's... It's the new iteration of Dead Gaia, and I think that's it's better as a consistent deck than it is as an explosive Right, and as you were saying, we we're saying about adding a land or something. Legacy is a format, right? About a lo- that's a lot about the mana that you have available with fetches and duels and wastelands and merfolk with all their taxing counters. You really want to play like cards that are consistent and cheap. And easy to cast, right? Yeah. Whereas that guy's I mean, like not none of those. Certainly, there's there's something to be said for powerful, expensive cards. Um, but you have to keep in mind that there are most of the decks in the format are actively trying to stop you from being able to play those spells. So, loading too heavily on the high end is is just as bad as. You know, you don't want to be left with a handful of cards. Yeah. That's what happened to me in testing. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't like ripping my fourth land as a wasteland and be like, crap, <laughs> can't cast a blue raider. Well, I um, think every deck's either playing wastelands or is doing something much more broken than obliterator. Right. Like, if you're not playing wastelands, you're either, you know, enlightened tutoring for some lock piece or you're just combo-killing them on turn two or something. Well, casting Natural Order and winning the game with a 10-10 protection from everything, or show-and-telling in a 15-15 and that. You know, there's there's powerful <laughs> plays in Legacy. And, uh, and you should be either actively trying to stop them from making those plays, or you should be making them yourself. And I think that uh, Obliterator is kind of too middle ground. Right, basically you want to choose whether you want to go for power or for consistency, and if you're playing like for power, you want to play one of these decks like that you show and tell an Emrakul into play or something, whereas if you're going for consistency, you know, you want your black-white deck to disrupt them and just play, you know, play things that it can cast every time, and, you know, play Thoughtseize into Dark Confident or whatever. Yep. So Frank, the other deck that you mentioned was uh, Mono Blue. Uh, were you able to to watch the feed at all that day? Did you have time to check it out? No, I I didn't I didn't watch the games uh, themselves, so <laughs> I'm I'm pretty useless here. <laughs> so, but yeah, like it, it seems it seems it seems like all the like all the comments I've heard about the deck and the game and so on, like uh, like uh, they they don't seem to think to think very highly of it, you know. Right, like Drew Levin mentioned how this guy, Chris Cronenberger, went up to him and Jerry and they thought his list was really sketch. And, uh, you know, Adam, what do you think about Energy Field as a card? I think Energy Field is garbage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, obviously the kid had a good sex for the day, um, but energy field is like, uh, the only way I can see that being good is like the open of line, donate it to your opponent, and then cast an energy field. And really, no one wants to be doing that. Um, it's just, I, I don't know how he, he convinced himself that card was going to be the new technology. And I wish Medina was on the call right now because I'm sure he has something to say about going out and picking up energy fields after that yeah. win. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I hope he spent hundreds of his wife's money on those cards and just tanks it. And that's why he's on the <laughs> in the doghouse today because that card is not <laughs> going to be picked up in any deck at all. <laughs> it was just—it's 15 minutes of fame, I think, <laughs> and that's all it's getting. I think the card that should be enchantment that was in his deck that should have been getting all of the acclaim was back to basic. That card was a house for him in that tournament. I don't know if you guys got to watch the, the finals at all. Um, that card single-handedly won him the tournament. Yeah, I he saw, was, I saw, yeah. He was getting ranched by his opponent in the finals, and then he went, oh, look, I resolved back to basic, and the game was over on the spot. Yeah, back to basics against uh, Team America is pretty good. <laughs> um, I don't know, just one of the more memorable, just to finish off with Energy Field, one of the more memorable matches, I, I don't know if Adam, you saw it, is when he played against a Merfolk player who uh, punted by, because he thought getting, he thought wastelanding his own Mutavolt would get rid of the Energy Field. When the other play, uh, when uh, Chris actually had a polluted Delta that he could have wasteland to to get rid of the field, and uh, that's how he lost that game. So, you know, there's that novelty uh, throwing people who don't know uh, what cards do advantage in that card. I mean, you, I guess you can always bank on your opponent being bad. Uh, <laughs> works a uh, lot of the time. I think I missed it. I missed it. Adam. Why do you? Think exa- I don't know why it's good or why it's bad. Why do you think exactly that it's terrible? Uh, cards go to your graveyard as a process of the game. It's, okay. I mean, it's there's so many ways for your opponent to interact with you in this game that hoping that nothing is going to happen. I mean, that's a perfect example of what you just said. You're not allowed to play your touch land when energy field is in play because it exposes you to wasteland from your opponent, which negates your defense. You're not allowed to draw cards, something that the blue deck wants to do, because if you do, cards will go to your graveyard. I mean, what happens when he draws up the seven cards? Eventually, he's going to not draw a land, and he's going to have to do something. So he plays a spell. He exposes himself to his opponent, countering it. Um, His opponent gets a card over turn two, so maybe he draws it to rest. Suddenly, energy field isn't good, and they also strip. It's like he... There are so many ways for that card to be interacted with that it feels like a waste of time and, and energy. Again, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, back to basics, as you said, was really good for him. What about misdirection? What are your thoughts on misdirection? So I wrote an article, I want to say, at this point, it was probably two months or so ago, um, about cards that are underplayed in Legacy. And the, the whole article was basically a list of cards and a little bit of description. And one of the cards that I put on there was Misdirection uh, and along with it, um, Divert and uh, Redirect. I think that Misdirection effects are 
criminally underplayed right now. Uh, when I was playing high tide for the minute that it was good, um, I had three divert in my sideboard from day one of me playing it because it answered all of the problems that you wanted to answer. Uh, Him Torak is one of the best cards in this format right now. And anytime you can cast Him Torak at your opponent as a blue spell, pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, AJ got blown out in game three of the quarterfinals when he was playing against, uh, Chris, because, uh, he played him to rock, his opponent cast, uh, Cryptic Command as bait. He countered the Cryptic Command and in response to the opponent misdirected the him at it. And it was the game right there. Yeah, I remember that. That was pretty epic. And then I think he landed back to basics some, somewhere to win, or did he, to win that game as well. I, I don't remember if, yeah. if that's how he won that game, but I mean, those two cards um, were were the way that he won that tournament. I mean, I think back to basics and the Dolphin Shackles were really his deck. Okay. And I think both of those cards are fantastic, but Energy Field is not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, in the finals, I think he locked up the guy's mana uh, with energy field, and the other player, I don't know if it was the right player or not, basically tapped out even with energy field to play a Tarmogoyf, which he just stole with the Veldactin Shackles and, and easily won the game from there on out. Well, it was back to basics, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think his opponent was kind of flustered by the fact that he was the third land and landed the, 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 uh, the back to basics. Um, and he didn't really know how to play through it from that point. But he didn't really have a lot of options, honestly. I think once you have a couple of mana taps under back to basics, I mean, okay, I'll be honest with you guys. I've been locked under back to basics and choked many times, and it's not a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I've experienced that feeling myself, and no, it is not very pleasant. <laughs> um, do you so, see, do you see these in, do you see these in uh, any other type of build of deck like this uh shackles was back to basics maybe i don't know cards to use in like the landstill deck or uses the shackles will, will we see more back to basics played you think in providence i think that it's difficult for a lot of the decks that are in legacy right now to play back to basics because um the duels are so i mean the dual fetch line base is so good that it makes In order to play around Wasteland better, they they don't run Fetchland basic mana bases. They run Fetchland land mana bases in order to assure that they have all the right colors at the wrong time. Oh, I'm sorry. So <laughs> it's it's difficult to to play a two or a three well a two not so much but a three color deck hit all of the mana that you want to hit at the right time and run a card like Back. So, <laughs> yeah on whether you want to go, again, for power through casting any kind of spell that you want to cast, or if you want to do it by casting spells like Back to Basics. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Back to Basics is one of the cards that are still on the list of can I fit this into my control deck or not as an online tutor target. Um, because in, in the control deck that I run, there's so many basics in the deck that I can operate under basic lands only. Um, 
whether or not that's something that's worthwhile is still kind of a decision to me because I'm not a fully basic mana base like the mono blue control deck it was or like the, the landfill decks are close to me. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a, there's a very select number of decks that can actually pull off running that card. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of it. I think Vidalkin Shackles is probably going to uptick on how often it's played. But that card's been a sleeper for a long time. Hmm. Do you see Mono Blue itself being a player? Um, I don't think so. I think it's a really difficult deck to play optimally. And I think one of the biggest things that Chris had going for him is that he hasn't picked up another deck in the last year and a half. Um, <laughs> so, well, I mean, you, you laugh, but that's important. I think one of the things that, that I try to tell people when it comes to Legacy is that there is a certain amount of um, value in being a specialist in the format. Um, there's, I mean, there's a ton of viable decks, and you can't test against everything. You can't play against everything. You have to pick something that you're going to play, and it's not going to have a perfect matchup against everything. So when it comes to a tournament like Providence, where you have to make a decision on what you're going to play in it, and the format has changed so drastically, so close to the tournament, having a deck that you already know in and out, up and down, left and right, backwards and forwards, is a huge advantage going into the tournament. So even if you are playing a deck like Goblins, who a lot of people are saying isn't really viable anymore, if you've been jamming with Goblins for the last three years, you're probably better off playing Goblins than you are picking up a deck like Team America because you know what you're looking for, you know how to play the deck, you know what you're supposed to be doing, and you're probably going to do better with that deck than you would have if you're picking up a new deck cold. So there hmm. is a lot of there is a lot to be said for him playing the same deck for a long time and, and becoming really intimately familiar with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so hell-bent on making light and tutor control work, because it's just what I've been working on for so long at this point that I feel like I have a better shot with that, even in the face of cards like Nymph and Misstep, than I would if I was going to try to cast him to Torox and walk in the misdirection all day. Yeah, I think we, we've seen so many examples of that. Like you mentioned this, like Chris, who's been playing for... Uh, along with a long time with the deck, according to him, and then we see Birded Chini all the time with Merfolk. We there's many examples of these players that that play the same deck and have success with it. So, um, Frank, you what what are you planning to play? Any any question you'd like to ask Adam for your Providence choice? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna ask like wh- if you're not good with any deck, <laughs> like which is there something you'd recommend? Because <laughs> uh, Adam was bashing his face I was playing Merfolk and I bashed Frank's face Six, like five to one Or six to nothing while he was playing Natural Order so he's probably Putting that aside <laughs> I think that Right now I'd have to say The best deck in the format is probably Team America I think that It's It's the most Let me think Uh Okay, so that's probably the closest that you're going to come to to other formats playing Legacy. This Team America. Maybe Merfolk, but probably Team America. You're playing creatures, you're protecting creatures, you're trying to kill your opponent with creatures. So that's probably the best deck for someone to pick up if they're not familiar with the format. It's very powerful, it does good things. Still plays removal, still plays counter spells, still plays undercross threats. Um 
and it's kind of hard to screw that deck up for the most part. Sometimes it just gets the nuts and you win, and sometimes you kind of got to grind it out, but it's it's hard to be in an unwinnable position with that deck. It doesn't have the best Merfolk matchup in the world, but you can't win them all, I guess. Um, Merfolk is another really good deck to pick up if you're not really that familiar with the format. I would strongly recommend not playing decks like Ad Nauseam or like Landfill because they require a very specific set of skills that aren't habitual for most Magic players. Um, I don't know if you guys remember last uh, at the last Grand Prix, uh, Brian Cook made top eight with his uh, Epic Storm deck, his, his uh, Ad Nauseam deck. That kid has played that deck for seven years at this point. Wow. He's played more games with Ad Nauseam than probably anyone else in the world has. Um, I would not recommend someone that's new to Legacy to pick that deck up and try to pilot it through a field of mental missteps and force will act properly. Bryant will be playing that deck. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, did you yeah. say Team America's not on, uh, continue first? Uh, no, go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to make sure, did you say not only is Team America a good deck to pick up, but you also think it's probably the best deck in the format? Yeah, I do. Okay. I think, honest, honestly, I think it's probably the best deck in the format right now. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that. Um, like, the, I, it, the problem it, that it, I'd it, have, like, with, with that, uh, with that statement is that, <laughs> like, everybody knows that, like, it's kind of a given, I, I think, that, like, a lot of people think it is the best deck, so, uh, <laughs> like, they're gonna be gunning for it, the people who know they're, what they're doing. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What do, what do you do to gun for Team America, aside from play Mono Blue Control with Vidokin Shackles, Misdirection, and, and Back to Basics in the deck? <laughs> and I don't expect you to have an answer, because I don't really have an answer for it. It's it's a difficult deck to hate out because it's a very strong and flexible deck and it has a lot of room to adapt. So I think that if you put a strong player behind that deck, you're going to get a good result out of it. It's it's consistent. It, it's powerful. It does all the things you want to be doing. So, Alex, did you want to Yeah, ask? I just wanted to say, you mentioned, you know, being locked under back to basics and being locked under choke earlier. I, with people all going crazy over mental misstep, there seem to be a lot of blue decks. And what do you think of playing choke in, like, say, junk, for instance? In the sideboard, probably. Don't play choke, please. No one play choke. <laughs> That's the joke. Of course. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. It's a good card. Um... And if you're not playing blue cards, then it's one of your best threats against the blue decks. Um, I've gotten beat innumerable times by choke out of the sideboard of a zoo player, and it's not really any different coming out of the sideboard of a junk player. It's it's something that your opponent is probably not going to see coming in game two. So if you happen to win game one and then you slam choke on turn three or even turn five of game two, there's a pretty good chance you've won that match. What blue decks do you think Choke is bad against? Like, what would you not bring in, it in against any blue deck? No, I think I'd pretty much bring it in against every blue deck. Um, the, the only ones I can think of that maybe 
uh, I would consider not bringing it in against are ones that are like uh, like Caleb's Painted Stone decks or maybe the uh, the Sneak and Show decks that are high in non-island resources. Yeah, yeah, like the Ancient Tomb decks, um, which, uh, I mean, a lot of those play like Chromox or Lotus Petal or, or you know, that, that kind of alternative blue sources or, um, uh, what do you call it, Seed of the Synod, you know, sources that aren't islands that are going to tap for blue mana. Um, it's still not awful against them, and if you have dead cards, then it's probably better than some of the dead cards that you're bringing out, but it's not as effective against them as it would be against the best life land, so. Hmm. Okay, so if people are, you guys aren't playing uh, a, a blue deck, rec- and you're playing green, which you probably are if you're not playing blue, recommend chokes in the sideboard. <laughs> it even makes some sort of weird sexual joke about it. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, so have you figured it out? Has Adam cleared your mind a bit? <laughs> No, I'm uh, I'm still unsure. I think I think we're gonna be testing a little bit more tomorrow, and uh, I I'm gonna be testing this uh, rogue deck that's been uh, floating around in the local community, and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna see what that does. And like I, I said, I said before that my uh, my fallback plan was Team America, so I, I might. Uh, I might end up going with that. Uh, I think we just lost that. Oh? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Ring, ring, ring. Frank, were you going to talk about Protein Hulk? Best of such parlay. But I mean, you can, you can mention it, sort of. <laughs> oh. Sorry about that, guys. I dropped off the call for a second. Okay. Uh, no problem. Okay. Let's just redo this segment quickly. Uh, Frank, uh, so has Adam cleared your mind as to what to play at Providence? Uh, I'm still, I'm still a bit unsure. There's this, uh, there's a local rogue deck that we've, <laughs> um, that we've mentioned on previous shows that I, I want to <laughs> test tomorrow. Okay. And, uh, my, my second choice would be, uh, it would either be, uh, Junk or, or Team America, I think. I'm not, uh, 100% yet. But I know, like, the deck that I want to play after the, <laughs> the GP, cause I, I think, I think it's too late to pick it up. It's the, it, it is the painted stone deck that, uh, that Calibdor were the mate and it, it, I think, I think it won, it won an event. Did it win an event or? Yeah, it won a Star City event. I have at yeah, least one but, friend that's going to be playing that deck. That deck Goblin Welder is is powerful. That that deck does some really unfair stuff. Um, it's a really complicated deck to play. Yeah, so I I think I think for me now it's too late to pick it up. But after after the big tournament, I that's I think that's what I'll be rocking at the uh, the weekly events that we that we have here. <laughs> so it seems Fred- it seems interesting. So Frankie, you think you're you think the Felix's Hulk deck is easier is easy to play? Like it looks like it has a lot of uh, complicated interactions there. On an unre- slightly related note, um, Medina, if you're listening in, Felix gave me the deck list and he said I can give it to you as long as you give him four Jaces. 
<laughs> and and Frank and Frankie gets one of the Jaces for being the negotiator. <laughs> oh, that's good. I only have three Jaces, so that that will be my uh, my last one. <laughs> so that's Frank's choices, right, Frank? Um, for me, I've been playing a f- like uh, my first deck to pick up because I thought it was the easiest and cheapest. Adam was Affinity. And I imagine we'll see that at GP Providence, but I think both you and Drew Levin believe that this is not one of the decks that you should be playing. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, here's my problem with Affinity, and, and it's actually it's a problem that I have with a few decks that are um, kind of outliers, like Tier 2 strategies in the format. I don't like linear strategies right now. I don't like, uh, like Storm Combo decks. I don't really like Dredge, although Dredge picked up a little bit of Team Lazy. Um, but that's more of a product of people not being prepared for it. I, mean, you know, I don't like if any, I don't like cards, or I don't like decks that lose to one card. Like, God forbid your opponent boards in Kataki, or Energy Flux, or No Rod, your deck loses. Straight up loses. And, and that's one of the things that I'm afraid of in an event like Providence, where it's gonna be such a big event, there's gonna be so many rounds in the event, the chances of you running into one of those kind of cards are pretty high. So, I feel like, you can't afford to not have a certain amount of flexibility to your game plan. And and decks like that, the linear strategy, Belcher is another one. Like you, I, I just feel like you're asking for difficult times if you run one of those kind of decks. Certainly they're powerful. I think the blue-black versions of Affinity that run uh, Tezzeret are, are pretty strong. But the fact that your opponent can beat you with one card out of their sideboard is kind of scary. <laughs> So I moved on from Affinity to another deck you mentioned because people said it was, again, relatively easy to play and at the at the time it was relatively cheaper than the rest of the decks before Force of Wills went crazy. It was Merfolk, but maybe it's just the... Met, I, of course, I don't play it perfectly. I've man, made many misplays during my t- testing session with Alex and Frank, um, but maybe it's our local meta game where I'm facing Mono Red, things like Elves and other stuff, or even affinity, things that I feel like I'm a dog to, <laughs> and that's why I don't want to run the deck, but, uh, uh so one right now things, I'm... Yeah, one of the things you got to keep in mind is that your your local metagame isn't necessarily going to reflect the things that you're going to see at the Grand Prix. Right. Um, and I have this problem a lot, too, because there's a lot of people, like I said, even though we have very strong players and people that know a lot about Legacy at our local events, it's still kind of an inbred community, and we can kind of metagame based on the players more than the decks. So it's like, well, we know this guy's going to play Burn every week. Even though he knows it's not a good deck, he just feels like throwing Burn spells this week. So we got to be able to beat Burn. Uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to run into Burn. At, I mean, you might, but you're not, you have a, a lower possibility of it at the Grand Prix than you do in a 16-man local event. You know? So even though... Merfolk might not be a good selection for your local metagame, just based on the decks that other people have available in your town. Right. It's probably still a good choice to be granted. So you're basically saying that, like, in your community, people metagame against each other because they see each other's decks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> oh, Matt's here. I better put shields on my board. Like, we've done that on many occasions. <laughs> um... <laughs> My A-team listeners will understand that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think people are predicting GP Prominence to be 
relatively low on combo decks. Would I be correct in saying that, Adam? Would you predict that? I think that? so. I think so. Um, then, what is the value of... Um, what do you think of Force of Will? Would Do you think it's actually debatable to, to cut back on a few copies of Force of Will? Uh, based on that knowledge, or you just still want to play four in all your blue decks? I'm still going to play four. I know there are other people that are thinking about cutting back on it. Um, uh, Corey McDuffie used uh, a similar list to my uh, my Star City Boston list, and I don't remember what tournament it was. Maybe it was in Neapolis. It might have been uh, the one before that. But he only played two forcibles in the main deck and he boarded two. And uh, that was the first time I'd seen someone do that in a long time. Um, I don't think he did that well at the tournament, but, I mean, it, it, I guess it's, it's something to consider. I know that I board Force of Will out more than a lot of people do, but. Yeah, a lot of people so, keep so that in. No, yeah, it, it, so by no means is it a sacred cow, but I think that uh, having it game one is probably better than not having it. I think oh, I but, would rather have four in, in the main deck and board them out than I would have less than four in the main deck and board them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you, why would you say that though? Like, uh, assuming you're not playing against combo that much. Uh, okay. So two thirds of your games are post board, so you can still board them out. But game one, if you lose game one to combo, it's a lot more difficult to win the match than it is if you lose game one to like, uh, natural order, for example. So, I mean, there's more interaction in that matchup than there potentially is in the combo. So I think that playing against an unknown opponent, game one, on the draw or on the play, I would rather have Force of Will on my hand. Right, sense? so basically, you're, yeah, so you, you value the, your game one more against combo than it, against control, basically, because you think against control there's going to be more opportunities for you to play, outplay them, basically, instead of variance and, like, them having the nuts or whatever, the combo deck. Right, right, exactly. It's more important to have it against the rare combo matchup that you play against, then it, it's going to hurt you having it against a non-combo matchup. Okay. That's, hmm. that's fair. I, I mean, I, I find playing often like, it's, it is a liability to have it against many matchups. Like, I find you really don't want to be forcing their spells, you, cause you, the, the cost of the other card that you're losing is, is often really high. I mean, right, and in that situation, you don't force it. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, you, you, you don't have to force the will just because the card's in your hand. If you have a, a game plan that is not affected by that card being cast or is, um, is, you can play around it somehow, then you don't have to force anything. Uh, and I think that's a trap that some people get into with themselves, is, okay, I have this card in my hand, uh, they're playing something, so I think I have to use it. It's, it's like, um, it's something, I guess, that you pick up on by playing a lot of limited. Like, you don't necessarily have to have an answer for every threat that they play. You have to selectively use your removal spells to make sure that you're answering the right threat. Mm-hmm. And then and then let the rest of your deck handle the other one. And uh, you don't necessarily have as much time to do that in Legacy as you do in limited, but you still have to make that same kind of judgment call. And that's one of the things that I think people do wrong with Team America a lot 
is that they uh, they misevaluate the threats that are coming from their opponent's side of the table, and they waste removal spells or they waste counter spells on threats that aren't actually that relevant. I think that's what the uh, the Team America player did in the finals of, of the last Rhapsody event too. Is that he he didn't get himself into a position where he could answer the right spells, and uh, and he ended up losing because that's the basically wrong. So basically, you think people don't like have the force of will necessary to hold back their force of wills? Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> Yeah, that's another card yeah, I had. You should practice that, like, for when you meet Lewis, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna concede to the master there. There's, <laughs> trying to go head to head in a pun off of Lewis is a losing proposition. <laughs> or a Lewising proposition. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I, I think I'm done with, with most of my questions. Alex, do you have any, uh, Frank? Um, I don't, nothing, I think I've touched on pretty much everything I wanted to talk about. Maybe, maybe there's one last topic. It, it goes out of legacy, but, uh, it's been, uh, it, it's been, the, be, it's been discussed a lot, like, this last week. Uh, there's, like, two, basically, there's, like, two new formats that are kind of, uh, have been thrown on to us. Uh, one of them is the modern format, uh, that, that's gonna be, be uh, that's gonna be played at the community, uh, the community cup. And, uh, there's also a campaign for, uh, overextended, uh, to be, uh, to kind of replace extended as it is right now. So, uh, I, I'm, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, uh, on these new formats and how they fit in between, uh, Legacy and uh, standard. So modern, right, is is all cards that have been printed with the recent um, recent style, right? Like the newer. Yeah, exactly. It's it's eighth edition and up, and uh, that includes uh, in terms of blocks. It, it's it's from Mirrodin. And uh, the the other the other format that is being proposed, and I think Gavin Verhey is one of the proponents of that new format. It's uh, overextended, and uh, it begins with uh, invasion block, and that that coincides with like that was the first set that was kind of like uh, released si- simultaneously on uh, uh, Magic: The Gathering online. So like that format would be fully supported online. So uh, that's that's the other uh, proposition that's been put forward. So there's ban lists for both formats, probably right. Yeah, exactly. There's some arguable ban list for each four bats. <laughs> like Thopter Combo is banned, I think, in Modern. And Golgari Grieve Troll is banned. And Dark Depth or yeah, something. The Modern ban list is only applicable to the Community Cup. They plan on changing it after the Community Cup based on the results of that tournament. So they... It's kind of a preliminary ban list to, to take away the things that they think are going to be degenerate. So it's stuff like um, they, they basically they ban the entire affinity deck, all the all the artifacts and their game, um, along with I think the cycle of the vault is also. Um, and then they ban Golgari Grave Troll to kill Dredge. They ban Dark Depths. They ban Sopter. 
Foundry or Sword of the Nick. I can't remember which one of them. I think, I think they banned Sword, and the other equipment that they've banned is also uh, Skull Clamp. And Jute sure. is banned also. Hmm. So what what are like Adam? What are your your thoughts on uh, on these new new formats that are kind of being proposed? You know, and I think I think well, modern is is like like it's gonna be a mainstay uh, online at least. I think yeah. The intent. I think they've announced a couple of things that have alluded to the fact that they're gonna try to keep that format around after just the community cup is over. And my guess is that Gavin's format will kind of adopt whatever they do as this mantle and go from there. Um, he's probably just going to end up being in on the ground floor of that format, whatever the heck. Um, I can't imagine that they're going to try to support two formats that are similar in there, that are that similar. Um, but regardless of what happens, I think it's important. I think that... I, I can tell you this much. I played Extended during the Extended format that Invasion was legal in. And I loved that format. It was one of the most fun formats I've ever played. And Me too. I, w- I would be really excited if that became a, a serious PTQ format again. I think Legacy is not feasible as a PTQ format, and I think Extended was an awful PTQ format this season. And people want something that allows them to play with cards that are older than a year or two old. And I think that uh, this is a good avenue for that if they do it right. I think I think the problem with extended last season it was it was just too similar to standard. It was another another format dominated by uh, Stoneforge Mystic. Well, it was at the end of the format. At the beginning of the format, it was just old standard. It was five color control versus fairies versus some other decks that were uh, it um what was it Valica with uh the domain card there that I can't remember the name of. Um, yeah, it's uh, Prismatic Omen. Yeah, Prismatic Omen. And, so uh, was, and, was, and Scape Shift. Exactly. So it was slightly better standard decks from the last couple of years, and then it eventually devolved into the Stoneforge Mystic decks that were better than the, the standard decks from the last couple of years. So people saw it as a familiar format and didn't like it. And I think that the other problem that you have with extended, well, actually, this this uh, kind of segues into another thing that happened recently, which is the uh, the change in F and M policy that allows you to play block and extended as formats of F and M. Um, prior to that change, you weren't playing extended ever, and you weren't playing block ever. It was you were playing standard or you're playing limited because those were the F and M forms. And now that extended has the possibility to be extended into a uh, an F&M format, uh, you have the capability of playing that in something other than a PTQ season, and people are actually going to actively test and play that format. Um, and that's something new also. And, and I think the fact that there was no sustainability with that extended format because of the fact that it was seasonal and it was only for PTQs, uh, it led to a lot of people not really being that interested in it. Um, so I think that's a positive change as well. Yeah, I I definitely agree that like supporting extended or whatever format is going to be the other PTQ format uh, with the FNMs, like that's that's clearly uh, a good idea and it's it's welcome. Uh but uh the the th- the thoughts that I had 
with the modern and uh, overextended uh, as they were uh, proposed. Like me, I really don't like the interaction of the the fetch lands and the Ravnica duels. You know, it's if if magic was if like if magic was meant to be played like with fourteen life, like. It, they would have made it that way, you know, like they wouldn't have said 20, you know, like they, so it's like to me, that's, that's kind of, I, I find it kind of ridiculous, you know, like <laughs> take so much damage from lands, you know. Like the and, Conley Wood story, right, where he's, he's playing Zoo again, and he's playing at Worlds or whatever, he just needs to win this one match, and he's paired against his opponent who mauls down to three or something, and Conley, you know, fetches front tap duel, plays like Kurt Ape, then fetches front tap duel, goes to 14, you know, plays like Karmagoyf. Then again, then fetches for untapped duel, goes to 11, and plays, uh, plays molten rain on the guy's, uh, guy's great furnace, and the guy shrapnel blasts him in response, he goes to 6, the guy untaps, plays the second mountain, bolt bolt, and calmly dies. <laughs> Yeah. But I think Gerard Fabiona tells it a lot better than that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I come from a a land of perfect mana bases. So my opinion is slightly skewed. I think you can't have a a, uh, limited card pool format where you're fetching into dual lands that don't deal you damage because your mana base will be the same as it is in Legacy. Um, Except no wastelands to disrupt it, right? Yeah, it, it, you're right. It'll actually be better because you don't have wastelands. Um, so it seems kind of ridiculous to me that there wouldn't be a drawback on those lands. I think that uh, I think that if you start earlier, like they were with overextended, you have more opportunity to exploit that. I think like the domain cards are going to make it better to have the Ravnica duels and the Zendikar um, fetches than you would have been able to. I, I mean, you, you get things like uh, what is it? Uh, Gia's Might. And then, I don't even, actually, I don't even know if you get that. Is that an invasion law? Yeah, yeah, it I is. I can't remember. So, so you get that, but then there's also the other one that came from, um, I think it was Conflux, the reprint of that. Um, so, like, your aggro decks are just insane. And then on top of that, you're starting at 14 life because you're bringing in on tap touchdowns. So I think it makes aggro extremely strong. But on the other hand, with an open card pool like that, control usually is pretty strong, too. So it's like you have that tension between the control deck and the aggro deck. And I think that's something that's positive for the format. But, again, you have the opportunity in this broad realm of cards to also not work. I mean, you can still run the Shadow More Filter Lands. You can still run uh, Reflecting Pool. In in my, run. you know, in my opinion, like it seems like there's enough fixing outside of the Fetch Lands that you like you could have a format without it, and you wouldn't be shuffling that your you library could, every you could make turn. Make an argument that there's enough fixing in the card pool that you can choose whether or not you want to run the Ravnica Dual Lands. I think. You're gonna find that there's a lot of decks in the format that don't run the Oracle Duel and because they don't want to take the damage from their land. So, I think you're gonna see that 
the more aggressive decks that want to have multiple kinds of basics in play for things like Curtis or things like the Sears Mike type cards are going to run the fetch and do in mandate. Um, but I think a lot of other decks are going to choose not to run those just because they don't want to make the commitment to the life. And I think the manlands that are, are going to make a difference. I think uh, the the dual land manlands I'm talking about and the uh, the combination of the well, really you're going to see things that reflect more of the standard mana base from today than the extended mana base from the last season. Well, well, I think I think the new like the 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 fast lands as as they call them from uh, uh, Scars of Mirren, and they they've been really popular. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see them being played in in a, a, an extended format, and like they were being played in the in last uh, last extended formats too. Well, I think I mean, actually, if you the, think about it, go ahead. I'm sorry. I actually I think also that the the M10 M11 you know, duels like, like Glacial Fortress actually work really well with, like, the Fetchland, Ravnica, Mana Base. So you can run, like, a mixture of both. Because once you have, right, like, one what, duel, oh, they all come into play untapped. That's actually what I was just going to say was, um, you, you actually have the possibility to run almost an entirely dual land Mana Base at this point, because you can run the Ravnica dual land, which then turn on the M10 and the M11 dual land. You also have the fast lands from, uh, Block, but you also have the, the manland duels. So, like in a blue-white deck or in a blue-black deck, you already have this 16 plus fetches. So, it's, you know, that's almost 20 lands already that you can run that are just dual lands. You don't even have to run basic lands. So, there's plenty of options. I mean, and, and that's not even counting the, the Shadowmoor uh, filter lands reflecting pool, all of those kind of choices. So there's a lot of options out there for people that want to build a mana base. K- KYT, do you have any something? thoughts on the, on the, the formats? No, because I feel like I always focus on like standards and so, and it's like they really have to make, for me, I'm, people, our listeners know me as a competitive player with whatever time I have outside of work when I had work. <laughs> um, and standard was always the only format that's taking much of my time. And right now, the only reason I'm playing Legacy is because there's GP Providence and maybe if GP Providence was on the West Coast, I wouldn't be caring about Legacy at all. So um, it really depends how, how they go with it. I don't even have time for EDH, something that I've been wanting to get into for Probably a year now, but thank God they're releasing those uh, pre-constructed ones so you can in a be few lazy? weeks, <laughs> so I can be lazy and just take one and have, say I have an EDH deck. But yeah, that's that's why I don't have much thoughts on it. I just play. I mean, I enjoyed. Uh, I agree with you, Frank, that the extended was it felt kind of like the same old, same old. Still enjoyed playing my blue white fairies deck though, so. <laughs> Yeah, because KYT I mean, just loves him some some car blade. Yeah, that's the one thing that that's beneficial to the format, the way it was, is that as a as a format that caters purely to competitive players, no casual players are playing extended in in its previous iteration. Uh, it's only people that are interested in competitively playing that are going to be interested in extended. 
and those players don't have time to uh, do a, a large amount of study work on another format. So having a format like Extended Was that is relatively mimicking what Standard used to be is beneficial for those players just from a time constraint perspective. You already kind of know what the format's going to feel like and you kind of know how the decks play out. Um, now, because they want to expose that format to new players through the FNM uh, changes and through potentially, you know, Grand Prix and, and that kind of thing, um, it's going to actually make it more difficult for players that are more focused on playing standard competitively to understand that format and get into it. So, uh, are we are we good for shoutouts, Frank? Any last words? No, we're good. Okay, so uh, Adam, I obviously would like you to for to, to plug anything you want to, but we know, of course know you wrote two excellent you write excellent articles on Channel Fireball. I actually think that I'm gonna reread um, the the one that breaks down GP Providence prep on the way there because uh, I thought it was really excellent for someone like me who's gonna be playing in a in one of his first rather uh, big, well, compared to what I'm playing now, <laughs> big <laughs> legacy tournaments, and that's really, really useful. I, I've been referring to it uh, over the last two days since it was posted. So uh, anything else you want to mention? Sure. i got a couple of things to mention. Um, I'm not usually one to plug other sites, but uh, there was actually the same day that my article came out, which was yesterday, uh, Drew Levin, and Matt Elias both wrote articles that were similar in breaking down legacy archetypes and, and what you should and shouldn't play and what you should think about. Um, those are both on Starcy Games. And uh, I think all three of those articles coming out on the same day was really good because we gave three very, um, well, similar and different opinions um, on, on what's good and bad in legacy. Um, Matt and I kind of have the same uh, mentality on a lot of things. In fact, we've actually talked a lot about that in the last couple of weeks. But uh, Drew was kind of an outlier, and I think he's kind of thinking about what the Star City metagame is like, which doesn't necessarily reflect what the uh, overall Grand Prix metagame is going to be, but it's probably pretty similar. Um, so I would say read all three of those to prep for preference. Uh, aside from those, if you want to read more of my stuff, it's on Channel Fireball. Um, check out information on mtgthesource.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do it on Facebook, Adam Barnello, or you can find me on Twitter at, at Adam Knight. Yes, yes. You wanted more Twitter followers, so we're, we're hopefully right. going to get you more Twitter we're followers. Doing this, right? <laughs> Adam Nightmare, Nightmare as in, spe- like, as spelled in the, the card. Right. <laughs> I've seen some people spell it with a K. So, uh. Yeah, it's not the chess piece, guys. <laughs> um, definitely check Channel 5. I also read the Drew Levin article, and I'm going to read the Matt article due to your recommendation, uh, Adam. Frank, who who would you like to thank this week? Well, I'd uh, I'd like to give uh, a shout out to uh, two commenters that uh, left comments on uh, MTG Cast uh, last week for for the show. Uh, one was called uh, Louis, and he, he made a very uh, a very uh, insightful comment about uh, Medina. So, uh, and John wanted himself to thank him for his good comment. And, uh, there was another guy who goes by, uh, the handle Team Hero, 
And he said, Frank is the best. The car, the cast is already good, but Frank makes it amazing. I'd listen to anything Frank is in. <laughs> so, uh, shout out to Team Hero. He's obviously a very smart guy and, uh, his opinion is, uh, is, uh, well appreciated here. <laughs> Also, I'd like to thank uh, our friend Felix for sharing his deck with us, and uh, I'm going to be testing it a little bit and see if uh, it's something uh, I can uh, get behind and do well with. And um, thanks also to uh, Robert Anderson, who was uh, was, uh, our guest last week, and I listened to the show again uh, this week, and... uh, I, I I thought he was he was pretty hilarious at times and he he was he was surely a great guest to have on and uh, I think we 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 want we'll want to have him again uh, sometime later on and uh, finally my uh, my son KYT uh, <laughs> we had a pretty amazing time on Monday when you came to test and. Uh, when we uh, when I drove you back home, we listened to uh, a very interesting song from uh, Lonely Island called No Homo, and uh, we were uh, we we had our little moment there. Together sounds pretty homo. But yeah. <laughs> all right, Alex, uh, I'd like to shout out Adam for being on the cast. You were an awesome guest. Thanks for letting us pick your brain. Um, no problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was awesome. Um, and, uh, shout outs to a couple of commenters, the, also known as the haters. <laughs> uh, namely CPA15 and Drew. You guys seem to have changed your tune, that's right. I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind if you hate on me, just, you know, in a constructive manner, that, that's, that's fine. You know, just like, you don't have to say stuff like, Alex, why are you such a terrible human being? You know, the, that, that I think is a little over the top. So it's everybody who, who commented and, uh. I think they'll notice the difference, Alex, this episode. Cause Medina's not here, they'll notice the difference. Frank? I think, I think the only person that's really, uh, terrible is, uh, the guy we lovingly call, that's not funny. <laughs> that's not funny, guys. <laughs> That guy's terrible. <laughs> Anti shoutouts that that's not funny. <laughs> Alex, anyone else? So actually, Drew actually has a question in the comments that he questioned. Uh, maybe this is known to everyone that I'm just not aware of, but why doesn't Merfolk play Brainstorm? It's a list just too tight. Seems that it's most probably the reason, but I'm curious what you, your guys' answer to that is. Um, well, basically, first of all, Merfolk doesn't play Fetchland, so you don't get the full value out of Brainstorm. And you just don't, yeah, the list is tight, but you also don't have the time really to do that, I believe. Um, and yeah, shout out to uh, one of the MPG cast uh, commenters as well, who uh, seemed not to be able to make it through the whole of last cast, or at least not even the first like 25 minutes to realize that, no, I was not fired. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, if anything, Medina was fired. <laughs> And that, that's it for me. Okay, uh, Medina would like to thank Drew Levin and PV for being a BAMF. <laughs> BAMF. And, uh, I'd like to give a shout out on his behalf. Um, Alex, one more? Uh, yeah. By, by the way, by the way, a BAMF is a, 
It, it's a badass motherfucker. So that's our mom joke for today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so yeah. One more. I want to shout out to Nick LeBlanc, who, uh, who was originally sitting on his rating, like, you know, and has decided to do what KYT and I are doing and put our, put balls to the walls, you know, for Providence. Though it's probably the unwise choice. It's, uh, the more manly one. So good job, Nick. Thanks for, thanks for being, being a chill dude. That's it. I'm not manly. I'm sitting on my reading. <laughs> no, I but you played in a week, guys. It's killing me. But you're playing Providence. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you're risking your, your rating for the, before the cutoff or whatever. Oh, no, I'm nowhere near the cutoff for nationals. I'm sitting on it for Providence. Okay. Okay, uh, my shadows, I guess. Um, Definitely thank you, Adam. You were a great guest. Like, um, uh, I compare you to the episode we had Drew Levin on. It's like a lot of knowledge and when we asked you questions, you actually had a very logical reason for, for why you believed, uh, in, in, um, what you said. Like, you were able to back up what you said and, um, definitely gonna take in your advice as I prepare for GP Providence. So, uh, thank you once again. Yeah, KYT's like a sponge. He just soaks all that shit up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, thanks for Alex, obviously, for being here tonight. Um, thanks to Frank. Anti shout out to Medina. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, thanks, uh, shout outs to Nick LeBlanc, of course, who's gonna put his rating on the line at Providence. Thanks to Bryce Maynard, who was, uh, Kind enough to test with me late at night. We're talking about like 2 a.m., 4 a.m., testing my specific uh, brew for GP Providence. And uh, with that, I think I think we're done. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Leave feedback as always, and, and let us know what you want to hear. Obviously, you guys want to hear about Frank, Alex, and I's epic, hopefully adventure at GP Providence. And yeah, Frank's going to win it all right now. He's like, doesn't know that, you know what he's going to play at all, but he's going to win the tournament. Watch out. <laughs> it's like GP Providence. Frank, frankly, my dear, I win this tournament or something. You know, it's going to be some lame headline like that. They always do that, you know? <laughs> like Saito's legacy continues. You know? <laughs> hey okay. man, I've, I've been known to luck out in these events, you know? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> and, and uh yeah anti shout out to Medina's wife you know and no I'm not going to make a wife joke just you know come on come on we need we need that guy you know he he does actually provide something contrary to popular belief <laughs> yeah he Thanks says get- he says king ho at the end of the show <laughs> <laughs> yeah but <laughs> yeah adam you want to do the honors you need to shout out king ho as we're, as we're ending the record <laughs> No, you guys can do it for me. All right. Thanks a lot, Adam. (laughs) (laughs)